Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige podcast. Today, we're talking about the 1995 crime slick comedy, uh, Get Shorty. It's directed by Barry Sonnefield, who you probably recognize as uh, the man behind Man in Black, the Men in Black series, among other things. Uh, screenplay by Scott Frank, uh, based on a classic Elmore Leonard novel called Get Shorty. It stars John Travolta, Gene Hackman, Rene Russo, and Danny DeVito, uh, who does a lot of quality work in this film. The, the titular it also has, Shorty, I, I think. He is the Shorty yeah, that they're okay. after. He's playing Martin Weir, uh, this uh, very... I, I got the impression, and I tried to substantiate this in some research, but I thought that like Elmore Leonard based this guy uh, on Dustin Hoffman. Like You're supposed mm-hmm. to understand that like when he's talking about Martin Weir, he's talking about Dustin Hoffman. I don't know if that's true. It's just something that I vaguely remembered. Um, it also has a, a cast of supporting stars, Dennis Farina, who you might recognize as cousin Avi from Snatch, uh, Delore Lindo, uh, who we most recently saw in the five bloods. He's also in the core gone in 60 seconds, Malcolm X, et cetera. James Gandolfini early work. I think he is. He, I think he's 31 in this film. Hmm. Uh, and uh, the key will go on to play a heavy in Sopranos. You might have heard of it. Uh, J- uh, John Grise or Grease, uh, who is cousin Rico in Napoleon Dynamite and Bette Midler shows up uh, to entertain us all about the midpoint in this film. What did you think of this movie, Jim? Uh, Get Shorty is one of those movies that a lot of people talk about with pretty high praise and they're like, oh man, I can't believe you haven't seen Get Shorty. It's so good. Uh, it's funny. It's a a satire. It's, uh, you know, based on an Elmore Leonard novel, which gets me going after seeing Justified. Uh, you're just playing back the pitch I made for you a, year, a week ago. Did you record it and transcribe it? Cause like, right. <laughs> this is pretty much word for word of what I said. And you're not the only person who's told me that. Uh, so yeah, I'm thinking, all right, I'm in for a great time here. I'm going to sit back, relax, get some popcorn and, and watch the creator of Raylan Givens. One of my all time favorite characters spin a yarn here. Uh, and I found it to be just okay. Um, I, I was definitely like, lost in the plot for a while like it moves so quickly and things shift so suddenly and that's part of it right like that's intentional um mm-hmm. but I, I kept finding trying to find my bearings and, and make sure that i knew what was happening at any given moment uh and, and i like it it's it's sort of got a cohen-esque feel to it um in parts especially in the plot where you know, the the money is moving around and shifting hands and shifting purposes um, in a really cool and clever way. I think the thing that like really took me out of it is the Hollywood that's portrayed in this movie is not the Hollywood that I think of when I think of Hollywood now. It's the 90s mm-hmm. Hollywood, right? And it's probably not even that. It's it's older Hollywood as seen through the lens of 90s filmmaking and 90s uh, novel writing. So it's it's totally different when I think of Hollywood now. And so like that sort of incongruity was always in my the forefront of my of my watch here. So I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I think the performances are really, really good. Yeah, I want to talk more about that. This is like uh, 
this kind of uh, is a piece of John Travolta's like uh, Renaissance. You know, mm-hmm. this is uh, came Pulp out a, a couple of years after Pulp Fiction. Um, and it uh, I, I love this film. Uh, I remember I read this novel because um, I, I, I like to do I, I, also, I actually like to do that back when I was not allowed to watch rated R films. If I could see a novel adaptation, I would buy it <laughs> like something that looks really cool and like mm-hmm. read it. Um, and I, so I read this and then I, I made it a point. This is one of the first movies I, I looked up once I kind of, um, you know, stopped doing that so much. And, uh, I was amazed at how like really one to one, the, the book and the, the, the movie is like, huh. and what I think you say it's Cohen-esque. I'd say some of the Cohen-esque stuff like Fargo is Elmore Leonard-esque. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> like Elmore Leonard's at its best. And this is all DNA and, and justify. You'll recognize it as like, you have a core competent person and maybe an antagonist and then just a bunch of bumbling fools mm-hmm. that are playing at crime or a new at crime or desperate to get into crime um and there's like you said money that's kind of shuffling around as MacGuffin, and there's like uh the plot is fairly intricate but it's mu- basically defined by how cool the dialogue is mm-hmm. how interesting the situation is and what how many possibilities um it kind of it, it kind of opens up and represents and then how these all these various characters and plot lines kind of converge. You know, there's a scene, one of my favorite scenes in the movie where like you're at the airport that's simultaneously occupied by John Travolta's chili. It's got uh, this new drug guy that they're introducing. You got these DEA agents. You got uh, James Gandolfini check, like all these kind of like there, there's, there's central events in the movie where all these kind of threads come together and the threads kind of get eliminated one by one. And I, I like it. Like, um, just the dialogue is so crisp and so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just also like the idea of a gangster. Like, like th- this, this, I, 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 to me, this is, this is kind of like a fictionalized version of like the, the mob takeover of, of, uh, uh, Las Vegas, you know? It's like yeah. these guys, an actual shark comes into a, to a, a small pool where people are acting like sharks and just sees the, for how like these, these power games for how silly and stupid they are and how all this posturing. And when you get a, a person that's really capable of violence and, and scheming and, and as, as played in those water, I, I just think it, it, it plays so well. And it's breezy, man. This mm-hmm. film is like 90 minutes long. Um, it never really takes itself too seriously. Um, and the stakes are never all that like, you know, people get beat the piss out of people die, but it never really affects the characters like uh, Renee Russo. When she gets like uh, at points, this movie gets like kidnapped and threatened like her. It's almost like rolling her eyes and oh, brother. And like Chili at no time yeah. ever, ever takes a threat to himself seriously. And so that's some of my ba- favorite parts is like uh, when Gene Hackman tries to point the gun at Ray Barboni <laughs> and Ray doesn't even notice it. And is like this trembling hand and he looks, oh, c- come on, quit fucking around here. We don't got time for this. Yeah, it's it just takes it's just I don't know. Stuff like that just cracks me up. Um, and it's not just funny. It's also got enough like meat to it to where like the plot is interesting. to. Re- and there's like like, you know, um, not a whodunit, but who's going to get it? Yeah. Like they established this like pot of money that's guarded by essentially a dragon in the form of the DEA mm-hmm. and who is going to be the knight that goes forward with the sword to get, you know, like, like who's going to be the guy that gets it. And that that's why I like it. It's just really excellent characters. They're very, very cool. 
saying and doing cool stuff and looking cool as well. Although that yeah. it is it is looking a bit dated it, now. That's the know? thing. I, I think I would feel like this was a hell of a lot cooler in 1995 than I do now. Um, but it, it still mostly holds up. I, I think um, it's very still very funny. I think. Yeah, John Travolta is very cool. Gene Hackman yeah. is just this giant God. fucking dork. Gene Hackman's Russo, amazing, man. I, every movie I see him in, I'm just like amazed at how effortless, effortlessly he can play an ultra serious, intimidating figure or this complete fool, nothing of a of a human being producer, right? Like, yeah, like this is the same guy that so is good. terrifying in Mississippi Burning. Like, sure. Like, did you believe will take on a whole fucking town of racist cops and come out on top? And this is it's the same. And now he is wearing like some kind of prosthetic teeth and maybe even nose that kind of helps. But like he can be this. He can be the like really insular cerebral guy from the conversation. Like he can be a weird version of Lex Luthor. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Is he like the Gary Oldman? That's like the generation before because like he does and he's he's funny. He's capable of being Mm -hmm. very funny. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, he's, he's great in this Rene Russo total smoke show. Yeah. Uh, Danny DeVito is, you know, he's, he's Danny DeVito. Uh, I love seeing Danny DeVito in this era of DeVito where like you can take him seriously as an actor and like a a smooth suave guy. Cause now after always sunny, I don't, it's really hard to go back to that mindset. So seeing him as this character is a bit of a shock. Post Trollfoot uh, era <laughs> right. of Danny DeVito is is hard to see, but yeah, like he is a kind of a Dustin Hoffman type. He mm-hmm. is he's funny, but he's funny because he lacks complete self awareness. Yeah, uh, he's not is. funny because he himself is a joke. He's funny because like he's a famous and and he does a bunch of famous movie star. I, I actually kind of want to um uh start the maybe the conversation with something that you said that's that's interesting to me. And that you don't see this era of Hollywood having anything to do with the era of Hollywood that you can you elaborate on that? Because like, I, I don't know which because like from a st- like, I don't know that like movie stars have changed this much. Like a lot of stuff right. about them custom or like ordering off menu and ordering mm. for everybody and then just getting up from the table and being kind of like like an oblivious conceit. Yeah. Yeah, like an like a sense of entitlement that they're not even aware of. It just kind of gradually gets there. Like I thought that stuff is like really spot on and some of the and also mm-hmm. like even in this you're dealing with like a very you're dealing with essentially like uh uh a, a, a trauma trauma studio level director and like guys who are in the right. outside trying to break in. This isn't like even MGM and Disney back in the nineties. This is very, so like what, what, what was it that like, what's the big difference or what, what was the, the incongruity that you were talking about? This feels like more like old Hollywood where like the big movie producers were these guys. Um, and, and you know, if there was any mafia involvement that it's like when you talked about Las Vegas and how, you know, the, the rise of the mob in Las Vegas and taking over and then that kind of gradual fall. Uh, that's how I feel about, the movie industry too. Like there were a lot of those guys mixed up in it way back when, and then Mm. that sort of faded. And now it's all, it's a movie factory, man. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a well-oiled machine that if you're not making a billion dollars, you're essentially not making movies. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't look at it as like a thing that you can schmooze your way through anymore. It's more like, Hey, this is designed to be a factory for money. 
I don't know. I mean, maybe this is just the edges of that. Maybe this is not, you know, your Disney's, your Fox's, well, <laughs> your Disney's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, maybe it's, funny it's smaller like, stuff. Somebody makes all the shit that comes out on sci-fi mm-hmm. and that like gets released direct to video. Like, and if you, you, you scroll down towards the bottom of like the Amazon prime or the Netflix catalog uh, in the sci-fi sections, like they're still making movies like this. And they're like, so I wonder if there is kind of like the same way that like uh, there are parts of Vegas that are not really Las Vegas, but they're still Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, or like maybe it's the Reno to Las Probably Vegas. The like strip stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if they're like, yeah, because to me, it's like that's what our where Chili's breaking into. He's he's mm-hmm. breaking into that and then like trying to find a, a studio that's a joke that he can kind of like get in and like elevate through his personal connections. And I don't know, it does feel like there's a lot of that too, like who, you know, uh, the influences that you, you sure. know, uh, the, the, the climbing up the ladder, getting like uh, they're trying to get a script that's got a name attached and you want the script, all that stuff I, I felt like still still plays. But. I, I do say that it does. It is a little dated in the same way that we talked about leaving Las Vegas is a very dated view of, of Las Vegas. Yeah. And I think like. Um, all the stuff that's happened around like diversity and stuff in Hollywood is more where my mind goes to with modern Hollywood. Um, and this ah. is com- I mean, it's before the time of really much diversity at all in Hollywood. So, sure. uh, of course, it couldn't be, you know, prescient about that. It just doesn't feel like it reflects the values that are being forced upon modern Hollywood. Although it's interesting because like there is a, there is one black guy in this movie and he is gives voice to that. Like, well, why can't the lead be a black guy? Isn't that what right. this lead needs some color, needs some style. And like the John Travolta is just like his responses. He doesn't even have responses. It's like, come on, come on. Yeah. Come on. You're going to, you're going to put an A list script and you're going to get a, you're going you're gonna to put uh, Delroy Lindo as a star. You're going to what are you going to do? Like uh, it, it, it does feel like that kind of throwback and like mm. nobody's even, you know, worried that that, yeah. that that's a problem, except for the minorities who are trying to crack in. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's all of the bad shit that I've heard coming out of Hollywood lately, too, uh, is, is kind of clouding that up. But, yeah, this feels like a more <laughs> remarkably a more innocent time in Hollywood and I know like we're talking about gangsters and shit but like you know Hollywood has a lot of comeuppance that it needs to get and this movie doesn't quite seem to acknowledge that in the way that you sort of need to with anything you're going to make in in 2021 right yeah you're right like Harry uh, played by Gene Hackman is the type of guy sleazy guy that would run a casting couch and you kind of get that like he's sleeping with uh yeah his co-star or the stars and but like also harry doesn't seem like um uh god who's the guy that just went down um the miramax guy uh what um weinstein yeah okay like yeah he's that kind of guy but he's a put he's not a threat he's a pushover if you didn't want to you just you just say oh harry you're a scumbag and he'd be like oh yeah you're right and he, he i guess you're right it is um it is a very nostalgic uh, rose colored glasses look at those like they, they definitely have that there, but it's all kind of defanged. And, you know, yeah. again, Rene Russo is in no real danger throughout this whole film, even when she's in very obvious danger, because right. she's just kind of going to, you know, and roll her eyes through everything and not take it seriously. Yeah, it's kind of just the style of this movie, too, which yeah. I acknowledge, but also I don't know my my own vision of Hollywood now gets in the way of sort of 
putting myself in that mindset. So there's the there's a mobster movie that's like the Sabo round that wraps the actual plot. And right. you've got you introduced to John Travolta, who is this kind of like mid-level gangster. He's uh, essentially a collection agent. Uh, what, they, what they refer to as a Shylock, the guy that, that runs the books and, and makes collections when people are, you know, applies the pressure mm-hmm. uh, to people that need applied to. So the, the, the mobsters can get their their interest or vig. Um, and he is kind of bulletproof. Um, he's kind of old school that he doesn't, you know, it's kind of like the respect is earned, not given, which ruffles some of the, fe- uh, uh, rival gangs feathers. Um, and he has this antagonistic relationship with this Ray Barboni guy who is a complete fucking fool, but he's untouchable because he works for some other guy. And there's a scene where. I, I think this is all funny where like uh, Ray Barboni comes in and clowns on Travolta, steals his jacket uh, and John Travolta just drives over there without a word, punches him in the face, grabs his jacket back. Mm-hmm. Uh, then this guy tries to kill him and John Travolta, like I think intentionally misses. You're supposed to understand. I think so. Yeah. And he's he's whining to his mob bosses. What do you want me to do? Go to war over a jacket and your fucking, you know, scalp deal. Uh, as long as Momo is alive, you, you cannot fuck with this guy. Smash cut to Momo having a heart attack at his surprise. It's and it's it it works so well because it it builds up with all the things the audiences have expected. Like, oh man, when a mafia guy goes to some undisclosed location, he's going to get you know iced. Right? This is yeah. uh 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 J- Joe Pesci walking into that room and 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 Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's even like, you guys check this out, right? I'm going in there alone. And he, his family's throwing a surprise birthday party and it, it kills him because he's a right. fat mobster guy. Oh, yeah. So 100% now, satire for sure. Yeah. But even then, it's like so now it's like you think John Travolta is in a lot of trouble. But like when Barboni shows up in his barbershop to roll heavy on him, he's not he doesn't like he's got this tough muscle and he's like, hold, you know, holding a knife against his throat. And he's like. Come on, because he knows this guy. He's like, you can't do better than this guy. He's like, I don't know, unless you can speak Spanish. This is about as good as it gets. <laughs> right There's in Miami. all that. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's just it's just very funny. Um, mm-hmm. And that causes him. He, he, he has this uncollectible debt. Uh, a guy who died in an airline crash a couple weeks ago owes the game mob 15,000. And, you know, he's like, well, what do you want me to do? The guy's dead. Go try to get it out of his widow or whatever. That yeah. launches the whole rest of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and that money becomes the the MacGuffin for the rest of the film, I guess. Or th- yeah. there are a lot of stashes of money, a lot of pockets of money going around and, and moving around. Right. And that was the most interesting thing to me about this movie is the way that the plot revolved around all these different batches of cash. Because uh, yeah. it's fun. It's just like. It, it it's it has you know that Cohen esque I guess that Leonard esque uh, quality to it. It feels like everyone's playing a social deduction game because like you know Chili when he goes to L A uh, he doesn't know anybody there he just knows people's types and mm-hmm. he's like relying on his kind of like nose and his intuition to know who are the dangerous people who are the serious people um, like his sixth sense of like you know being in a life of crime. But they also you have two of these big quantities of money. The one guy turns out didn't go down in the plane crash uh, through some kind of like happenstance. It could never happen nowadays. They'd never let you off no. that fucking plane, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But but 
but he gets off uh the but the the what they give him three hundred thousand dollars to his widow um and he's mm-hmm. hiding out in vegas like essentially spending it all so you got that big sum of money simultaneously there's this other outfit in los angeles who's a limo company that's a front for a drug operation, but they secretly all want to, because everyone in LA secretly wants to get into the movies. Right. Uh, and they have, uh, they owe, I think, uh, Pablo Escobar. They actually I name him. So he's Mr. Escobar he's in the to, movie. Yeah. The real Escobar. He kind of sort of looks like Escobar sort of actually looked and Escobar-esque. they owe that outfit. <laughs> yeah. They owe them a, a half million dollars um, for their cocaine. But they can't give that to the drug dealer because they also invested $250,000 of that into this other movie that they wanted to make. Because, again, they're wanting to make and which which the guy is, took and gambled away because he needed 500000 to buy the, the rights to the script because the guy who was going to going to give it to him uh, died and his widow's bending him over the barrel here. Yeah. And it's like it's kind of like a real life. Uh, the big short, because you've got two big but <laughs> finite stashes of cash that have been leveraged by like three death, different yes. people, six different ways. And this is the coolest thing, because it does feel like how Hollywood sort of operates. Right. Like getting a movie right. made is this Tetris, this Jenga game of pulling out pieces of cash to fund 10 different things, hoping the tower won't collapse on you before you can recollect your money. Uh, from the yeah. profits of the movie. So it it feels a lot like that. Uh, yeah, like Hollywood kind of operates uh, back in that era, certainly. And probably still yeah. the financing is a lot like that today. And, uh, you know, so keep So there's the idea that you have to track down this one guy for his cash. But there's also this uh, um, locker in the uh, in LAX that has this other stash and the, somehow the EEA knows about it. We don't know any of this backstory. It's just kind of like given to us. Mm-hmm. And what I really love about the device is every single time like the key or to the locker or the locker itself is walked past or mentioned. There's a slight little rattlesnake uh, sound. <laughs> Nice. Like just like like this is a this is danger. Mm-hmm. Uh anyone that goes after this is going to, you know, get uh get get arrested and 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 worse. And it's great because they they establish that's a threat. Chili's um kind of imaginatively sets it off just to verify. I'm actually not sure. Do you have an idea of like why Chili got arrested? Um well, I thought it was going to be to fake out the DEA to make them think that the whatever was in C-18 had been picked up and they could then, you know, call off the operation because it's pointless now. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like there because I, I had been I've watched this a bunch, but I'd been probably since Bald Move started since I've reseen it. And I was trying to think of like, well, what's this? It's like, does he is you're going to find out that the this that the, the, he sent Rene Russo there to like clean out the locker while he distracted the DEA or whatever. But like I'm left with like, I don't, that seems like a very dangerous thing to do. Now he doesn't have, they stop. She doesn't have a criminal record. Right. So like if they ran him, he would be completely clean. He's just a dude. And like his story vaguely kind of sort of checks out, but like, it seems like a huge risk to get pinched by the DEA. Yeah. Just to see something that Chili knew, like he, like everyone, even a dumbass like, uh, uh, Bo, can see that the DEA is swarming and they're looking at that locker and he's made all the agents because of course he has. So it's like, yeah, why mm. did he get himself arrested? It's not, that's not clear to me. It is risky, but he's a very confident guy. <laughs> yeah. And that's also more of like, uh, I maybe it had something to do with, um, 
clowning on on Bo and Bear because there's that 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 leads to a great scene where James Gandolfini is like, "We got the money," and he's like, "No, I didn't get the money. I got, almost got arrested. This and that." And he's like, uh, "Do you have the key?" And he's like, "Wait a second. You guys try to set me up, fail, and then you want the cheese back? Nah, that's not going to yeah. happen." And there's again that classic line of uh, like Travolta says to this guy, James Gandolfini is a as a stuntman. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about this for in a minute. Um, but they established him as like he's a good guy, but not too bright. He loves his daughter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh, that that line of like, what did you, what where did you guys get this idea? Is this something you saw in a movie that you got beat up in? I just mm-hmm. think is because he's humiliated Gandolfini a ton, like like just just one one humiliation after another, and it's weird because it really works for me because like now especially I've seen like five seasons of James Gandolfini be terrifying mm-hmm. in The Sopranos. So like, uh, you know, John Travolta, like punch him in the crotch and throwing him down a staircase by his dick is extremely <laughs> funny to me. Oh, it's but, hilarious. Um, can, can we talk about why we're on the subject of Gandolfini? What accent is he attempting? And I think for it's God's Southern. Sake, why? Am I wrong in thinking it's Southern? Some kind of Southern accent? No, I think he's going for some kind of muddled ass pan Southern accent. But why? Yeah. Don't like, know. Did, were they worried that if he talked like someone like a gangster from New Jersey, that like that would confuse audiences because they would think that him and Chili were friends or something? Probably. Like, it was probably something dumb like that. Big Palooka stuntmen probably come from New York and New Jersey all the time. Sure. You know, big population centers like it just but it's super distracting to hear him do a shitty southern accent uh, throughout all of his lines. Yeah, it is. One question I want to ask you is where do you think in the movie Chili got the idea that he wanted to actually get involved in the movie business? Because it happens very quickly and organically, and I'm not quite sure by the time yeah. he's our, by the time the script is dealing with it. And like, uh, like they got Gene Hackman, like why, you know, why do you want to get into the, the Hollywood business? It seems like it's a lot like your mobster. That's the theme of the movie that the Hollywood business is just as cutthroat and ruthless as the mob business. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, you know, it's like, uh, maybe, but I, I actually like the movie business. Do you have an idea yeah. of like when I mean, he, he, he's a guy who likes movies. Like they make that clear, right? He's always like quoting movies and he's always talking to correcting people when they talk about the wrong stars being in movies, things like that. Uh, so maybe always like he just hasn't had the opportunity and when presented with an opportunity of like having to shake down some movie producer, he decides, you know, I don't respect my boss. I think he's an idiot. Uh, so I'm just going to go off and do this thing that I've always kind of wanted to do. I've just never really had the chance to. It almost it almost and I've always thought this almost serves to make him seem a little naive because the idea that you could use Harry Zim as yeah. a vehicle to get because like it always sounds to me in the the, fir- the first half of the movie that like Harry's delusional mm-hmm. like oh I've got this script to like my best friend that has wrote all this trauma like toxic Avenger shit for me my whole career uh, had one good script in him. Yeah. And Martin Weir read it uh, because I've, you know, have a romantic connection with him and he was over to moon. Like to me, this this reads like someone is shining him on and Harry Zim lies throughout the whole fucking movie. It feels weird that like 
Chili just buys this hook, line, and sinker. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess this, I, I guess, because especially since they established that he hasn't even read the script for like the first two thirds of the movie. Mm-hmm. So that always kind of bothered me that, like, what, like, I feel like the way this movie should end is that Chili just got schnookered, you know? Like, that I would mean, be the best ending. I'm not sure that it doesn't end that way. Like, there are so many hands in the pie, right? And the movie is, well, he, he's making a different movie, right? He's not making the Mr. Lovejoy that was on the page. He's making his Shylock uh, life story. Which I think movie. he always wanted to do. Like, he was always, yeah. like, trying to get, like, uh, people interested in, in, in his own life and his own script. Like, every yeah. single time he's supposed to be pitching one, he's pitching the other. Um, so I don't know if Harry even had like the the script, right? The, his driving Miss yeah. Daisy, as he puts it. Uh, right. I, I think it might have been a bomb. It might have been because everybody who's like saying, oh, yeah, it's great. Kind of turns out to be a buffoon by the end of the movie. Like uh, mm-hmm. even Martin Weir, right? Like they hire him for the Shylock movie. He tries to play the Shylock and he ends up just being wrong for the role, I guess, is what Travolta says yeah. at the end. What Chili thinks. It's- it seems like it's his. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of a bum. Like, uh, obviously Harry's bummed out because he's being forced to shoot this other guy's script. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like used all of his apparatus to, to, to get the star he wanted and the situation yeah. he wanted and the money that he wanted, <laughs> but he's forced to direct <laughs> Chili's uh, script. And I love how you can see those pieces falling into place throughout the course of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really and, but Chili's unhappy because, you know, Martin Weir's wrong for the part and making him mm-hmm. look like an idiot. Uh, and I think the only person that's really happy is Renee Russo because all she wanted to do is get into producing and now she's like a ball busting producer. Uh huh. Which, okay, fair enough. Um, I guess that's like part of the commentary on making films, right? Is like you can have these grand expectations for what your film is going to be. And if you get the right star, like you can get a huge star and they could just not be on that movie you know or right. or hollywood just doesn't pick up on the fact that like this is a script that needs to be developed or that this is any good or you know they're having an off day and the movie just bombs right like i don't think this movie's going to yeah. be successful so no but also it's that's a very hollywood too that like maybe you had a great star you got there but like everything's being pulled in different directions and everyone's got like yeah. that's the other thing funny thing is like everyone that reads the script immediately has feedback uh-huh. Oh, well, this should be this. Oh, this needs this. Oh, this needs this. Well, I see this more as this. Well, I think it's more. And like, even yeah. Chili gets conf- like, uh, like he, he, the very first scene where he uh, has a look at me, Harry, where he breaks into Rene Russo's uh, house and, you know, is, is doing his creepy gangster thing. Uh, when Rene Russo finally goes down to see, like, what the hell is taking so long to rouse this burglar out of my house? And they're having a conversation. Like, Harry immediately, like, adds something new and, Chili's like, I'm not so sure about this whole thing, but like, that's mm-hmm. the whole movie is like the, all these creative forces and everybody wants their say and everybody wants their, Oh, you want me to be in, well, then I need this in the movie. Um, and it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. De- it, it Delroy, just, like Bo comes to Harry later and says, I'll offer you 500 grand and, and we can just get this thing going. I already have a couple of notes, you know, it's like they throw that in there in that first conversation before anybody's agreed to anything. I've got some notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah I good. think it's uh, that's funny. Um, I also like how I don't know. They just have a lot of fun with how like uh, vapid and airhead uh, the average Hollywood actor is like uh, mm-hmm. like making fun of these guys, and their method process, because when they got Danny DeVito as as Martin Weir there and they're pitching the Shylock movie to him 
They're like, you know, you got a guy across from you and he owes you 15 grand. You know, what what what, what, do, what do you got? Show me what you got, which is neat because they're like Chile is a really interesting study of the human spirit and the, the, the human condition. And he knows that the way to like get Martin in this film is to intrigue him on that acting level, like give him a challenge mm-hmm. that he thinks he might not be able to do. And he's kind of like doing his like hand like and he's like, oh, no, I'm actually playing Shylock instead of being like. Shylock he's right. he's uh, I forget what the Shakespeare thing he's is peel back a layer Merchant sure. of Venice yeah he's doing mm-hmm. uh, I just like that and then like when he tries it again he's like what are you, what are you trying to tell me you sleepy uh, you need a nap you get, uh, no, I just you're thought that was too much. What? yeah yeah and the line where DeVito's like oh man it seems like there's a lot of pressure in his job and and the uh, Travolta's like pressure I'm the guy that applies the pressure. Mm-hmm. There's something about the way Travolta plays this. It might be actually cooler than his character in Pulp Fiction, who, <laughs> wow, is a drug a drug addicted weirdo. Like at the at the core mm-hmm. of it, right? Yeah, you're not wrong. Whereas he's very very cool. Yes. Like multiple O's in the word cool in this movie. Yeah, it's like I said. Uh, it's such a shame that. John Travolta is this weird Scientologist dude because I like him in almost everything I've seen him in. Battlefield Earth is a definitely ex- an exception because that movie yeah. just sucks. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean this uh, Pulp Fiction, Face I, Off, I, Face Off. I I kind of like him in Swordfish even, which isn't an excellent movie, I, dude. I was gonna say like I like him in Broken Arrow, which is one of yeah. like the lesser yeah. of the John Travolta, you know, re- Renaissance era films. Like he's yeah, he's a he's kind of a likable guy. Uh, look who's talking. Yeah. Look who's talking. And he has a serious presence, right? It's not just like oh, he's good looking or something, which I guess he is, but like also. His he's a force on screen when he wants to be. He is. I mean, yeah, he believably can punch James Gandolfini in the balls and throw yeah. him down a staircase, and he doesn't look ridiculous, right? You know, he's a and like that too. thing is like, uh, yeah, when James Gandolfini is trying to take uh, his the key away from him at the airport, and uh, he tries to make a move on him, and he just like busts him down, like punches him in like throat, mm. scrot. Knees and then just lays him. On then the he lays him. He's like, okay, okay, big man, breathe, breathe. Uh-huh. And how like he also is like really easy like making friends too. Like like mm-hmm. he goes from kicking this guy's ass to like sixty seconds later, he's like, so you've been in a lot of movies, right? Like, tell me about that. And you know, gets this guy essentially on his side, which is why he lives in this movie instead of die. It turns out. Um, but like also the the with going back to Danny DeVito, like why is he fascinated by his minivan? I don't know. He ends up buying one, doesn't he? I think he shows or, up to a lunch the next day in a minivan exactly like John Travolta's or, or he's just he might been joyriding it for a whole day. Yeah, I think he that's that's what like he's just like, "Oh, uh, this is I this is mine. This is like a gift. This is wow. a gift bag thing." Wow. But does he like it because like obviously that's the thing is like the I I I got the idea that there's an actor who plays Napoleon, who's this powerful, you know, uh, forceful guy. Mm-hmm. But like uh, Rene Russo even says that, like, you know, when he first came to Hollywood, he was a lot of different guy. And, you know, he's this and that. Like, is it the fact that like, oh, I am a person who plays cool people and I've met an authentically cool person and he drives a minivan. That must be pretty fucking cool, even though Chili is kind of mildly horrified that he's stuck in a minivan. He wanted a right. Cadillac and he got the Cadillac minivans. <laughs> Uh, 
Yeah, which um, I can imagine in 95, an automatic door was probably pretty high end for a minivan. I'm yeah. trying to remember because I, I don't know. It's 25 years on at this point. So it's also got that um, uh, Ocean's Eleven kind of thing uh, where every time something cool is about to happen, they play up the sound, you know, the soundtrack starts and uh, they got the kind of cool swinging jazzy uh, soundtrack, uh, like when yeah. Travolta traverses in that one shot across the entire restaurant to go again. I've mentioned it several times. But it's the highlight of the film. Punch mm-hmm. James Gandolfini in the balls and throw him down by his ball sack. Uh, I, I love that. Like everything is just makes everything feel kind of like that Las Vegas kind of mobster. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that line also like when James Gandolfini is kind of like, you know, rolling, he's standing up to him in the staircase and like, you're not going to get past me. And he's like, Oh, stop, man. Are you any good? <laughs> he throws him down the stairs. Like, yeah, he took that fall. Not, not bad for a guy that size. It's just, it's <laughs> right. so funny. Um, just a lot and, of funny stuff like that. Plus like, uh, so like, there's also this running theme of the fact that like people see ch- the way Chili operates and they try to copy him as if the performance is what's menacing about Chili Palmer, not the fact that Chili Palmer is just incapable capable of violence. You know, like uh, Gene Hackman does it mm-hmm. uh, when he gets the idea to call Ray Barboni and play tough on him. Mm-hmm. Uh and then uh, uh, Bo does it later because like when he first he, he, he breaks into Rene Russo's uh, house and tries to intimidate Chili by playing Chili's tricks against him. I mean, Leo and, tries it, too, in the hotel in Vegas. And that fails spectacularly. Yeah. All he has to do is turn around and look at him to uh, have him piss in his pants. I, I think that's interesting, too. The idea that like. uh you know, the performance can't be like, like can ever only ever be a reflection of the real thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you see a movie about a traumatic event, you, a lot of people say it's like, oh, man, you watch uh, you watch Saving Private Ryan. It's like you're back on Omaha. You're you're on Omaha Beach. No, you fucking not. No, you're no, not. You're sitting no, you're at not. home on your couch and eating yeah. popcorn and drinking soda. Mm-hmm. Yeah watching 15 minutes of like people that you just met getting blown apart. They're not your friends that you've been through basic right. training for months and you haven't fl- uh, uh, taken a slow boat across the Atlantic ocean and spent, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like it, it never is. And I, I like how that like is hammered home uh, time after time. Like the Hollywood shit is not real life. And when it bumps yeah. against the real life stuff, it, uh, it always goes badly. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause again, I can't, Man, that's this, my second favorite scene is the Ray Barboni scene where he finally comes in and he meets Harry Zim. He's like, oh, you're the fuck face that's running everything. And like Harry tries that shit for like and it just goes wrong. And then Uncle Rico shows up and gets shot. And he's like, I'm going to need you to shoot his corpse because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and the, the scene of like uh, Gene Hackman trying to turn the gun on him and mm-hmm. just. Ray, like, what are you? Dude, stop fucking around here. We don't got time for this. It's yeah. uh, it's it's so funny. Don't puke on my shoes, Harry. That's a pretty good line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's get these uh, <laughs> probably thousand dollar. I don't know Italian leather, blue Italian leather. Jesus, the color I'll, palette on this. Also, when he first is just because he's kind of like humors Harry a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but then finally, like Harry pulls like is, is pulls one caper too many, and he's like, you know what? This is exactly the thing I needed. A little exercise after a long plane trip. And he just starts kicking Harry's ass all over the car. That shit, I think, is is uh, really funny. 
there's also um, a lot of like mistaken identities and things like there's a, a point where Rene Russo has been kidnapped and they're taken out to Bo's house. And there's this elaborate like Hollywood plot to throw Chili off the balcony. And James Gandolfini decides to switch allegiances at the end and, and throws him and Bo off and he saves Travolta. But Rene Russo doesn't see that. All she sees is like it looks like Gandolfini's trying to throw him off and she shoots him and he's like, what the f- what the fuck? And then she shoots him again. And then Travolta from the other side of the ravine is like, Karen, what the fuck? And she's like, oh, and th- throws the gun down. I, I don't know, man. It cracks me up. Uh, uh, you said Bear decides to switch allegiances there. I Did they not plan this? I, I thought this was planned. Like there's that scene in the parking garage um, where he, you know, punches Gandolfini again and then like has a task for him, right? They like get to talking hmm. about movies and he's like, I want to send you to do, I want you to do something for me. Hmm. And, and I you thought this was right. prearranged. Um, but I don't know. Then you got the, the nuts and the bolts stuff that he right, pulls he's out like, of How the, the hell did that line. happen? He's like, I have no idea. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe it wasn't, I, I don't know. Cause you got that scene, right? Where uh, Bo threatens bears daughter or, Whatever she is to him. I think it's his daughter. It's his daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, And yeah, he, I think, switches allegiances at that point. Or he's already been considering it because he's been presented with this offer from uh, Chili to probably be a stuntman in the movie that he's going to make. Yeah. And then he realizes, okay, Bo's actually a shitty person and he's Uh not my friend. And so he switches allegiances there. And I guess they plan this maybe. Yeah, that's the other theme about um, the Chili's the kind of guy that says what he means and does what he says versus Hollywood. It's all about just yeah. a bunch of empty promises. And like I said, maybe what's that even mean in this town? And I think right. they're just like uh, I always felt that like you could see the gears cr- grinding in Bear's head that like, you know, I uh, so I always thought it was like a, a, a spur of the moment kind of thing. But you, you might be right. Um, could be. I don't know. There's also a lot of other little touches that like um, this kind of like reinforce the theatricality of everything. Like the fact that Rene Russo's house features on the inside of it, a Romeo and Juliet balcony so that she can come out and like have, <laughs> uh-huh. a, have some dialogue with Chili, And it feels like a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing because of the way it's staged, except for she's wearing a yeah. oversized Lakers uh, T-shirt instead of like a princess gown. Mm-hmm. Uh I I like those conceits that they have like throughout the 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 show, and the the way they kind of express Martin's vanity with that Renaissance portrait that he's had painted of himself. Uh-huh, <laughs> you notice uh-huh. that thing? It's hilarious. Yeah, he's got that. Didn't even have like a, some Greco Roman like statue of himself too. Oh, I maybe think. I missed that. Yeah, it's there's there's a lot of that shit in there. And it's also just really funny how everyone desperately wants to be in Hollywood. Like it cracked me up when uh Bo murders the Yayo guy, mm-hmm. uh Pablo Escobar's idiot cousin or whatever, a nephew, and for you know, throws him off the railing. And so he's just murdered somebody over a half million dollar drug deal. But then he just launches in like that, like 30 seconds later, he's forgot because he's obsessed with, uh, you know, uh, that like like getting Harry to let him produce instead of Chili Palmer. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, you already have like a bunch of deals and a bunch of irons in a fire. Why is it so important to you to get the producer credit on again? 
I can't I can't say this enough. This is still he's won a couple percentage points on a trauma vision film. He's he's essentially wanting in on the Toxic Avenger five or whatever. <laughs> uh, well, Mr. Lovejoy, the, the and the murder and the multi-million dollar drug deal or the half million dollar drug deal is like so far below. Like he's just obsessed yeah. with that thing. And I think it's just hilarious. He's also got a limo. I mean, there's like, yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it plays in that idea that like people who are desperate to get in are thinking that any project is going to is like really really good and this will be the one and that mr lovejoy script is that sort of yeah idea of what breaking into hollywood is uh i just think it's funny because it's like you know it's, it's stereotypical that you got a waiter out there that's you know i'm I'm not waiting tables i'm just waiting for my yeah. break to come through well if you work your way up to waiter to assistant manager to manager to franchise owner to like uh, uh vip of sales of sonic or in and out west coast division mm-hmm. are you really still breaking into hollywood or is this your career now man and i feel like uh, De- uh Bo is very much like that it's like maybe he came yeah. out there with big dreams of breaking it into and he did this he did that maybe he shot a porno once or whatever but now he's like a drug dealer and a limo uh, and a owner of a limo front and it's like ah uh, maybe that's just your career now man yeah. uh but the, ends the, up getting a lot of people killed hard, to break in this man. movie i mean you know it's never too late to break in right yeah that's true that's true there's there's also a commentary on like going back to that authenticity uh of coolness versus like the facsimile of the same like how much better hollywood treats harry after they think he's murdered somebody Hmm. like he goes into a restaurant where like nobody even cared but like now everyone oh yeah harry way to go harry watch out killer you know like they because he's now got something he's he's killed a man like he's he's got some that chilly authenticity Okay, finally, before we go, uh, a random observation. Did you notice that Ray Barboni gets up from a toilet without wiping? Oh, yeah, like he does, doesn't he? The, so, had he ringing. just sat down to start? Or is like is there a person on this planet that if the, bell, the door rings, you're going to get up and put your pants on with your shit-covered ass crack and try to conduct business? Or do you take the... <laughs> 15 to 20 seconds to wipe and then another 15 to 20 seconds to wash your hands before you answer the door. Because I, it just blew my mind that someone's in a full squat and the door, the, the bell rings and they just like, just, just get up, pull up both the pants and, and yeah, he looked like, like a man who was not just sitting down. He was, he was entrenched. He was, he was in a, he was halfway through a book. Like I, yeah. I felt like, yeah, he'd been there a while. Uh huh. Yeah, you're probably right. And then, yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, does he ever wipe? Is that just his modus operandi? (laughs) Is there a person that's just, are there people out there that just don't wipe their ass? There might be, man. There might be. To to have, like, all their marbles and don't have any kind of, like, mental or cognitive deficiency? Like, probably no. I I feel like it's got to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, the chafing alone would probably be. Yeah, just it's. I mean, I I don't know. Like, <laughs> I haven't I haven't gone around to sh- be shitted pants for a while. But like, mm-hmm. as a baby, I know you got to like if you you sit too right. long and to be shitted pants, you break out. It's on your skin's not designed to put up with that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Ray Bar- Bar- Ray's an idiot. Bones, this guy's yeah. a, a complete idiot. But like, just the non wiping blew my mind. Yeah. 
anyway, uh, we're going to get up from this podcast without wiping right now. I mm-hmm. uh, hope you have enjoyed. I, I love this movie. It's one of my favorites. Um, it's an El- Elmore Leonard classic. It's also one of the most one to one book to mm. script things I've ever seen. Like entire like this is very other than a little bit of like internal monologues that Chili has and um, a little bit of finessing of the plot. Like this is pretty much. And it also it's a, it's a fairly small book, so you can shoot a 90 minute movie out of it. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's, it's very, very faithfully uh, adapted. So I like it that too. And it's just, I don't know. Uh, it's a, just an effortlessly cool movie. That's a lot of fun to watch. I hope you guys have enjoyed our conversation about it. We'll be back next week with another prestige film. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.